Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 153 of the Lawyerist podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Peter Aprile and Natalie Worsfold about building a law firm by having the courage to make a bet on the future. Today's podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks, Ruby Receptionists, and LawPay. We appreciate their support, and we will tell you more about them later in the show. So today is our first episode of 2018, marking Woo-hoo. our fourth year of the Lawyerist podcast, which is unreal to me. That's awesome. And it seems like a New Year's episode is a great time to step back and do some strategic long-term thinking about where our firms and careers are headed. And I think today's conversation with Peter and Natalie about how they've built a future-centric law firm should be a really good topic to tie in in your long-term strategic planning as you do some New Year's resolutions and reflections and goal planning for the year. Yeah, I think if you've listened to Peter and Natalie's excellent podcast, Building New Law, then you'll enjoy this one because in their podcast, they talk much more about their guests than themselves. And today I sat down and asked them about themselves And I think it's the perfect podcast to start out the new year for the reasons Aaron just said. They are always looking at the long view and building a process around it and making a bet on the future. So here's my conversation with Peter and Natalie. Hi, my name is Peter Aprile, and I am a tax lawyer and the founder of Counter Tax Lawyers. And I'm also the co-host of a podcast called Building New Law. And my name's Natalie Worsfold. I'm also a lawyer at Counter Tax Lawyers, and I work with Peter on the podcast as well. I feel like I should congratulate you guys on having the second best law practice podcast. (laughs) Really? (laughs) You should really congratulate us for having the best law practice podcast. No, no, no. um, No, I can't. I mean, it's it's just... I can't go there. I, I, I was recently listening to, um, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I did it. I listened to my Clio speech and was listening to how I pumped your podcast so much from the stage. That was awesome. Yeah. And I thought to myself, why did I do that? <laughs> we'll start out by saying, though, I mean, I love your podcast. And um, if our listeners are enjoying our podcast, they're going to like yours and it's worth catching up on it. So that's very kind of you. And like I told you before, you guys are a big inspiration for what we do. And I would certainly would say some of the reason why we started this and and uh and a some reason why we continue to do this insanity that is a legal podcast but there you have it so it's all your fault oh shucks <laughs> so let me let me back up because I, I let you guys introduce yourselves and then i started making fun of you but <laughs> i want to talk about your firm first of all because that's why i wanted to have you guys on um, i love your podcast but that's not the focus that i want to have because let's just start with the very front page of your website um, which says that you're a team, CounterTax is a team of tax lawyers, legal professionals, mathematicians, and technology experts. What in the world are mathematicians doing in a law firm? Being very sad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I would say it's more what aren't they doing? Uh, I mean, I guess the math side comes in it from two angles. Obviously, we're a tax litigation firm, so we're dealing with numbers to some extent in terms of looking at, um, you know, what amounts are people fighting over, uh, what what could they win in various scenarios and things like that. Uh, where I think the the second aspect to it is, uh, we're very focused on uh, return on investment, so client ROI, and trying to calculate probabilities and chances of success and things like that. And although we may be great lawyers, sometimes we need some support in the math department. So, you know, when we talk about mathematicians, it's it's verging into statisticians and things like that as well. Yeah. So the reality is like, you know, I think one of the themes that run through our, our law firm and our culture is quantifying everything we possibly can. And uh, as Natalie was saying, to the extent that we could ha- have help in that regard, having people uh, who are trained differently kind of make us better at doing that and, and learning from them as well as them learning from us kind of makes us all strong. I think what I'm hearing is you really go to great lengths, not just to address the legal problems, but to help try and forecast um, probabilities of success for your clients and kind of draw them a roadmap for where their litigation might go. Um, that seems really forward looking to me when you're representing someone. Well, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly a key part of what we do. We're building, uh, and continue to build some software that helps us do that, that will continue to expand in 2018 and beyond. Um, and that's at the core of it. But I, I think the fact that we're building it into a software might be new, but this is what lawyers do and what we should be doing. And, and this is kind of what we sell. And to the extent that we can become expert in that regard um, or improve uh, is, I think, something that, that certainly this firm is focused on. And, um, and we think all firms, uh, all litigation, certainly all litigation firms should be focused on. And to the extent that we can make that visual uh, and involve our clients in those conversations by making these things visual, so we're not mapping our own uh, risk tolerance and things like that or substituting our client's risk tolerance uh, for our own, it really points us to having better uh, conversations and and leveraging our clients' collective intelligence and and hopefully being better lawyers in that way. So, I mean, you just dropped something in the middle there that I think is worth pulling out, which is you're building your own software on predictive analytics, right? Because like, well, I, I was a litigator and my clients would sit down with me and they would ask me, uh, you know, how likely are we to win this motion? And I would, you know, basically pull a number out of my ass. I'd say, I don't know, it feels like about 70%. But you're actually trying to do that for real. Yeah, well, trying. And, and like, it's, you know, I don't want to overblow it or overhype it in any way. Like, it's it's early days and kind of we're, you know, we're building to hopefully something more sophisticated. But where it starts, I think, or where it has started with us is just understanding what goes into um, increasing the accuracy of estimates and probabilities, mm-hmm. uh, and recording that, learning how to do that, getting more skilled at actually just making predictions as well as recording them, uh, as well as part of that, I should say, trying to remove bias and, and then checking back, right? Like looking, saying like, you know, was that probability accurate? You know, it's, it's even saying to somebody, you know, you have a 70% chance, I think is a good start. So that's kind of like early, early, you know, fine. That's a great start. And frankly, the amount of professionals that avoid that advice or, or that type of statement like the plague is, is just staggering to us. But I think you start taking next steps when you start recording those probabilities and looking at back at them in, in after action reviews or what have you uh, to say, okay, I was accurate. And why, why was that accurate? Why mm-hmm. was that a good estimate? And, or why, you know, we learn more by when we're not right. And, and so what didn't we see at the time? You know, what bias did we fall into at the time? Or, you know, was Natalie better at that and a more accurate uh, prediction than I did? And, and what was, what went into her analysis that we can draw forward for the next time? I think it's that discussion actually where I see the most value is um, focusing people around, you know, not particularly numbers, but trying to express their level of confidence using numbers, then providing 
provokes a discussion about, you know, why do you feel this? Why do you see this this way? Who else in the room is seeing it this way and why? And I think that's that's where I found it really valuable. I mean, I suppose if you can have a conversation with a client where you can say you have an 80 percent chance of success on this or an 82.5 percent chance if you're getting really granular, you can help them figure out whether or not it's worth the amount of money it's going to cost to, to take that step. You're absolutely right. And that's the next part of it. And that's kind of where Natalie started off in terms of that ROI idea, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when I think of how do we know we're good at what we do and winning at all costs isn't, you know, in some cases is easy, right? It, the question is, how can I, how can I generate the highest ROI for the client, which is arguably, you know, viewed in a certain light. Some lawyers and people would think that's contrary to our interests. We don't view it that way. Mm-hmm. We did a great job if we can spend a dollar of the client's money and save him or her 10. And we did an okay job if, you know, if it's, you know, five to five, but we, we need to have that front or we feel like at least we need to have that front and center for the client. And we think that that's part of what makes a good lawyer. I'm curious now that we've talked a little bit about mathematicians and analytics and, and I, and I was reading some of the bios on your website and I, I wonder if practicing law day to day looks much different at countertax than it would at just a typical traditional law firm because you guys it feels like you guys are using tools that aren't present at normal law firms and so I'm wondering if it looks different day to day we hear that it looks different um yeah it looks different we had you know it's funny we have um every five years we have a a law society uh financial audit um so we just had the law society auditor in here the other day going through our records and making sure we're uh, complying with law society requirements and things of that nature and he walked in and said it feels like I stepped into the future (laughs) Nice. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's a bit extreme. I don't know. I, this is our normal. Um, you know, we do weird things, I guess, like we do stand up huddles every day. The way we talk is, I, I, you know, kind of taking off on of what Natalie was saying. The way we talk is very different. You know, when we're having conversations with other lawyers or clients, you know, most of our clients are, are sophisticated and, and have other counsel for other areas of their businesses and what have you. Um, and we do get a lot of comments that we we talk differently and we think differently. And um, so I don't think you walk in really. And, you know, we got these, actually, we just got these new soundproof phone booths. Those look different. So you're definitely, <laughs> um, shout out to Framery. So it kind of looks different in that regard in terms of it's open concept and all that other good stuff. But like I said, I think the biggest difference is uh, how we talk to each other because it's, it's, it's those types of conversations and the level of those conversations that I think I don't see a lot of other uh, lawyers or law firms having. And what's the, when you do talk to each other, like what is, what do you think it is that makes that different and when you talk to your clients? I'd point to the collaboration side of it. So when I've seen or spoken with lawyers working in other practices, um, you know, it's been less about collaboration and working together. And I think what I see here is everybody being very focused on on working together to find, you know, the best result um, or something like that. So I, I would go collaboration. I don't know what you see. Yeah, I, I hate I hate the word client centric because it gets thrown around so yeah. much. Mm-hmm. Um, Natalie and I talk a lot about you know, as a firm, we're all in for each other. We're also all in for our clients, right? Like it is our interest second to our clients. I don't think that that happens, unfortunately, in too many law firms. Um, we had a, we, I was talking to uh, some tax lawyers somewhat recently and we were talking about uh, our software and the, you know, kind of showing our clients the analysis and, and putting our probabilities right out there, like saying to clients, like before examinations for discovery, this is what I think your probability of success is. And then after examinations for discovery, maybe that probability changes, maybe it doesn't. But the lawyer looked at me and said, like, aren't, you know, after some other questions that I won't go into, they, they looked at me and said, aren't you worried that, you know, if your probability changes, you know, that might 
you know, expose you to some sort of liability from the client or something like that. And I thought to myself, like, that's exactly the wrong mindset. Like you just, you just put your own interest in front of giving your client complete information Yeah. that here, you know, whether, you know, doing the best that you can. And I, and I'm certainly not saying we have our probabilities down. And like I said before, we're learning every day and we're getting, we're hopefully getting better at it every day, but it's that type of mindset, um, that, that you just put yourself in front of your client. You know, you're you're more worried about your own liability or how this impacts you as opposed to uh, putting that client first and saying, uh, I'm going to do the best I can to give, you know, John or whoever the client is the most information possible to make the best result uh, for him and for his business. I think that feels like a good place to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and we come back. I want to kind of blow up that mindset that you talk about and spin off of something that you talked about at the Clio conference. So uh, we'll take a quick break and we come back. We'll keep going. Being a self-employed lawyer is hard enough, which is why dealing with your day-to-day paperwork on top of it all shouldn't have to be. FreshBooks makes ridiculously easy to use cloud-based time and billing software that will help you work smarter, get paid faster, and become more organized. With FreshBooks invoicing, you can create and send polished professional invoices effortlessly in mere seconds. FreshBooks can set you up to receive payments online, which can seriously improve how quickly you get paid. You can track your time either by using their mobile app or your desktop, meaning you'll always know what work you did, when you did it, and who you did it for. There's also a super handy deposit feature so you can invoice for a payment upfront when you're kicking off a project. To feel the full impact of how FreshBooks can change the way you deal with your paperwork, FreshBooks is offering our listeners a 30-day free trial. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com lawyerist and enter lawyerist in the how did you hear about us section. Ruby Receptionist is a live remote receptionist service that is dedicated to helping lawyers win clients and build trust one happy caller at a time. From their offices in Portland, Oregon, Ruby's friendly professional receptionists ensure exceptional client experiences by answering calls live in English or Spanish, transferring calls, taking messages, collecting new client intake, addressing common questions, making outbound calls for you, and more. Just like an in-house receptionist at a fraction of the cost. More importantly, they sound like they're sitting in your office. For a special offer, visit callruby.com slash lawyerist2018 or call 844-715-7829. That's 844-715-RUBY. Did you know that attorneys who accept online payments get paid 39% faster on average than those using traditional payment methods? With LawPay, the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, you can accept client payments online, via email, or in person. No equipment needed. Visit lawpay.com lawyerist to sign up and get your first three months free. Trust the only payment solution developed for attorneys and recommended by 47 state bars. LawPay. Okay, we're back. And uh, Peter, part of the reason we're talking is because I bullied you both. And the other part of the reason... (laughs) Nudge, nudge, nudge. (laughs) Well, I really wanted to have you on my podcast. (laughs) So respected. Respected. Yeah, totally. But the other reason is because I I finally, we finally got to meet the three of us at the Clio Cloud Conference this past year. And you gave a presentation there where you talked about how you're, I I don't, it had some ridiculous title that that didn't really get the point (laughs) across. Um, But what it was really about is kind of is that mindset how how your firm thinks about law practice and its business differently I think and you didn't couch it as different you just explained how you do it and I feel like I really want to dive in and explain that and uh, have you explain that and take it apart because I I loved it it really resonated with me do you remember uh, what what item number one was we we started talking about how and again what I want to underscore is 
we don't have any of this mastered and, and, and we struggle to, um, to stay consistent in our thinking and not, um, and not fall into, I guess, more traditional ways or, or different ways of thinking. And, and so, uh, with that, one of the things we try to keep top of mind and, and try to keep as our North star is having the longest view in the room. Um, and so that's kind of where we kicked off the, uh, Clio talk and the idea that everything we do, um, we do for five, 10 or 15 years from now for our law practice. And we think to ourselves, you know, what is our law firm going to need and what do we need to start building today to get there? Mm -hmm. And so essentially what you're saying is you're trying to, you're trying to build your business for the future, not for the present. Is that right? Yeah, no, that that's absolutely it. And, um, the, the theme that runs through this office is how can we be just a little bit better tomorrow than we are today? Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we try to multiply that out. And when you say, you know, kind of our business. Um, I don't want to separate, uh, the business of law from the work, from the legal work that we yeah. do, because what, because what it is about, and one of the points that I was trying to make and that I think people sometimes gloss over or miss is that it's about quality of work and it's about becoming better lawyers. And I think that everything will follow, uh, from that, but it's, it, that is, that is kind of our, our North star. It's how do we become better lawyers? How do we, how do we work on, how do we make sure we're giving value at the highest level for our clients? And what does the law firm need to look like? And who are the, what are the roles that need to be part of that law firm? And who are the people that need to be here and what technology needs to exist in order to allow that to happen? You know, I think lawyers bristle when you, when you use the B word business, but it's a business and a profession. And to do it well, you have to keep those things in balance. And you're right. I mean, a, a great business serves its customers in the same way that a great law firm serves its clients and invests in that future. And I, I think it's that investment piece that really strikes me about, about this idea is that many, many law firms don't invest. They take all of the money out all of the time. And so there's nothing left to say, um, well, here's where I'm going to be in five years and I'm going to take a hit now so that I can build my firm to be what it needs to be for my clients so that they can win and I can win in five years. Yeah. And, and that's what we try to do every day. And, and I think that we're lucky because the people that are this firm and that have been here for a while um, are all willing to do that. Um, we're very fortunate that everybody is uh, very much behind the idea that uh, I think Jordan Furlong calls it like breaking the piggy bank and emptying it out at the end of every year. Like, mm -hmm. You know, we, we can't get to where we want to get to if we want to do that. And so, you know, the question becomes, what's more important, right? Is, is it, you know, are we, if, if you truly want to be the best at what you do, it's going to require some investment and, and it's going to require you to make sacrifices today to, to get there tomorrow. If, you know, there's no way we could hire a developer or, uh, focus, um, some of our time on building the things that we're building without sacrificing short-term revenue and short-term profit. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I'm just fortunate that we have assembled a group of people, um, that put being a little bit better today and hopefully being a lot better, uh, 10 years from now to crack and open that piggy bank and, and, and focusing on that short-term buck. And that, and again, and by the way, the, the other thing about all that, that's not in the best interest of our clients either, right? Like it is not in the best interest of our clients for the law firm that's serving them to empty the piggy bank at the end of every year. I mean, like it's, it's, it's what like if you really not, want a BMW? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, and, and, and by the way, our clients who are entrepreneurs, um, they don't run their businesses that way either. Right. Uh, and they know better than that. And, and, um, you know, if, if they had a better understanding of how some law firms are run, I think they'd be shocked, um, at what's actually going on. And, and I think they would quickly realize some of the deficiencies of, of some service providers. So if you're, if you've got the longest view in the room and you're building towards it, 
Um, I think your second point was trusting the process. What do you mean by that? We spent, um, I guess, part of that investment story again. We invested a lot of time early on uh, in mapping out all of our processes. So sitting down and thinking about how do I how do I do this in reality? Like what are all the pieces that go together for a legal submission or even for something as simple as, um, you know, we have a, a process mapped out for when a fax arrives in our office. Who does what with it? You know, where's it going to go? And things like that. Um, so if everything is, I guess, identified as a process, you can have more confidence that it's going to the right person. You know, it's going to be dealt with in the right way. And then you can focus on, you know, for me, I'd be focusing more on the legal side of things, uh, you know, for other people in our office who have different roles, they can focus on how they contribute to the larger uh, value that's being driven. And again, going back to that earlier point, like, you know, those discussions about how we do things here, you know, it, it's part of that, right? It's, it's how do we want to hand, so what are the steps that we're going to do to put together, you know, questions for examination for discovery for the sake of example, and spending the time to have those you know, conversations and what are the best practices that surround that and how can we do that better? Or how have we done that in the past? Or how do we want to make sure that it's done to maintain uh, one of the big things that Natalie and I always talk about is it's great to have a law firm and it's great to grow. But the one thing that we're always unwilling to sacrifice is quality. So how do we make sure we're running that quality through the organization? And and even, you know, for the articling students and paralegals that join us, uh, how do we make sure they're being trained properly and in accordance with the system? Like, how do you train people that this is the level of quality? And not only that, but more importantly, this is how you get there. And so like I, like we were saying earlier, if you're not having those, if you're not taking the time to have those conversations, those conversations themselves have a significant amount of value or that's at least what we found. And then when you actually implement it into a system, like neat things start to happen. I, I'm curious. We are also very process oriented. I'm, I'm bought into that. I, I love seeing um, law firms build that process in because it's quality control, right? It's, it's like the um, having a checklist for cleaning up the operating room um, you know, just completely eliminates all of the transmission of diseases or not, maybe not completely, but it has a huge thing in the medical community. Let's bring that kind of quality control to law. But one of the things that I'm curious about is how do you teach people when to break process? How do you teach people like how to recognize when something shouldn't be done that way? I think that's more, we do a lot of after action reviews. So if somebody sees something that isn't right in the process, then, you know, we have ways of, of talking about that. So I don't know, I don't know if I would say we encourage people to break process so much as if you see something that's wrong, stop everybody and just figure out why it's wrong and what we should be doing instead, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah it's that idea that like, it's that idea that you don't get a free pass around here. Um, by saying, and you know, this, you know, it happens in law firms all over the world, right? Like I followed the template or I followed the precedent, like <laughs> mm -hmm. just because it's, just because it's ours doesn't mean you follow it, right? Like your job is to, is to question everything, including what we've built, um, and make it better. Uh, that's, you know, part of our interview process. Like, you know, we challenge people and we say, you know, your job is to train us just as much as it is to train you. Your job is to grow me just as much as my job is to grow you. And, um, talking about this earlier today with Yoni. We need those questions, right? Because either you'll find something that we didn't see before, which is great. You'll make us stronger and we'll, we'll tweak what we're doing. Or you'll reinforce uh, what's already there. Uh, and so both those things are really valuable. I'm not looking for uh, people to simply blindly follow the process. It's There it is. Now question the heck out of it so that you can look for opportunities for all of us to make it better. One of the things that I was struck by, I was listening to uh, another podcast that was talking about those um, those medical checklists, 
And they tried to impose them on another hospital, and it was totally ineffective because nobody understood why they were being asked to do the things on the checklist. And it sounds like what you've done is you've got a, a, a team that understands why they're doing what's on the process, and you're encouraging them to continually look to improve that, but to have a process and to respect it as well. Um, is that a matter of, like, how, how do you get those people on the team? Is that a matter of culture, or um, is that a matter of building the process together and getting everybody on the same board? I mean, I, I imagine if you tried to bring a, a procedures manual into most firms, it would probably just collect a lot of dust and nobody would use it. So how do you how do you do differently? So again, I want to underscore, like, we're still learning how to do this. Uh, yeah. And how did it start? It started with us doing it really poorly. You know, we didn't communicate effectively. We didn't we didn't tell people why we were doing this. I said in the Clio talk that we were a small group and we thought as a small group, um, we didn't have communications issue or maybe we didn't have to communicate because we were in an open office together. Mm-hmm. The long and the short of it is we did a poor job um, when we first went down this line and, and suffered for it. We went slower and, and had some disagreements between members, us and members of the law firm. And and we would do things a lot differently. Now, thankfully, we made it through that. And now it is it is part of our culture. And, and it is one of the things that we talk about in interviews. And the other thing is, as soon as you come on board here, you're building something, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's nobody in this law firm that isn't building something right now. Um, now, whether it's a process map, whether it's a relevance diagram, or whether it's role definitions in this law firm, or whether it's a checklist for examinations for discovery, there is not one person here who isn't building something that is going, that is either part of or going to become part of the process. And so through that, through everybody contributing, I think that it's much easier to create a culture where people understand when you, when you pick up something else, when you pick up some other process or or template or whatever it is that's built, you immediately understand because of your experience in building something, the value of that thing. Hmm, That's awesome. So your final point that you made, I think, was about the courage to make a bet. Say more about that. I'm pointing to Natalie and she's pointing back at me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it's cheesy and, and um, I don't think it's cheesy. I'm not going to let you get away with that. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's, I was going to say it's cheesy and it's so real. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, like I've been saying throughout this podcast, like, you know, we're learning, we're trying to figure it out. I have no idea whether we're making the right bets or have the right answers. I just know that this is right for us. And this, you know, this is, this is our North Star and we can't practice any other way. It's like supreme confidence and self-doubt simultaneously. <laughs> and that's the world that we exist in. And we're constantly thinking about, should we be doing this? And, and wow, are we crazy? Like, why don't we just break the piggy bank at the end of the year? Like, you know, <laughs> and, and is, you know, is this going to quote unquote pay off? But it's the understanding that payoff isn't what motivates us. So that traditional payoff isn't what motivates us. But mm-hmm. uh, it's also the understanding that we can never know. And, and like I said, you just have to, we think, uh, for us, at least, we just have to have the courage to step up and and risk that. And at the end of the day, if we look back at our careers, I can't even say that because we are, I feel like we already have the payoff. You know, when I look at how people grow here, when I look at people supporting each other and becoming stronger and, you know, relying on each other as well as the technology and systems and stuff like that and growing, um, it kind of feeds into this idea that this is the path that we want to go and, and, and helps us in those moments of uh, I guess, self-doubt or um, things of that nature. But also, all that being said, it's communities like this, like the podcast has helped us. That's why we started the podcast was to find uh, other people who we thought were doing interesting things because we kind of felt like we were doing this and felt alone. And when we listen to you guys get the same thing. And then when you go to CleoCon, you know, you meet a couple people that feel the same way and you sort of connect the community, which, again, although it doesn't cure those many, many, many moments of, of self-doubt, um, it certainly helps. When you 
said this uh, the first time, it reminded me of um, Peter Thiel's idea of the of the secret. And Peter Thiel is <laughs> apparently a terrible person, um, but <laughs> but in his book Zero to One, he talks about what makes a successful startup, and he and he explains that most most startups, these being the disruptive companies, not the ones who are just replicating other stuff, but most are, are built around a shared secret, something that you know to be true about the world that most people don't think is true. And that sounds a lot to me like your idea that you, you are trying to figure out where things are going for you, for your clients, for your competition um, in 5, 10, 15 years, and you're going to build that firm now so that you can get there first. Your understanding of the future is your shared secret around which you're building your firm. You could be wrong, but it sounds like even if you are wrong, you're building a company that you and a firm that you really like having um, and that your clients enjoy in the meantime. So, you know, maybe you go out of business in 10 years, but between now and then, it sounds like you're going to be pretty yeah, satisfied it, with I, your work. Yeah, maybe we will. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Natalie and I often look at each other and say, like, why are we doing this? And and the answer is because we can't do it any other way. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like you see, if, you know, we, we have assembled a group of people that see an opportunity to do things better. And so when you see an opportunity to do things better, you do it better. To bastardize another quote, you know, you be the law firm that you want to see in the world. If I was a client that had a tax litigation matter, this is the type of law firm that I would want to retain. And so that's the type of law firm we're going to build. Um, and I think that um, at the end of the day, it, it's really, really that simple. If you can, if I can figure out a way to do better quality work, if I can figure out a way to, to train lawyers, junior lawyers to be better if I can figure out a way to heighten my analysis and and get better at um, quantifying risk and probability and stuff like that, like I'm, I feel comp like there's no choice. Like you have to do that, don't you? <laughs> he laughs. I, I laugh because I understand. Like when you when you see the world in a certain way, um, you don't have any choice about how you move through it, and you just go with it. So yeah, and that's and that's why like when when we met face to face at Clio conference, like Natalie and I left and. What really came through in meeting you, you kind of see your own kind, you know, from a distance over the internet. Like wolves, right? we can smell each <laughs> <Yeah>. other out. <laughs> but like, you know, but that interaction, it's like I, we left and, and like kind of left and you think like, yeah, that's one of us. Um, yeah. And um, and it's really, really neat and really powerful when you see and, and when we see it in other law firms, it's it's a really, really cool thing. I just wish there was more of us. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to get all promotional, but like that's why we started organizing the TBD Law Conference because it is so powerful to go from trying to do neat things in your own, you know, try, seeing the world you do, building your neat things, and then getting together with 50 or some 50 or 60 other people who also see the world in similar ways. It's really powerful. Yeah. It's, so. and, and then it's a balance of uh, like what's interesting about that. And, and then it's a balance of contributing to that community while maintaining what you're doing in your own practice and balancing that and seeing how you can kind of play both. But it, that's not an easy balance either, but uh, definitely, um, when you get a bunch of people in the room who are trying to do better, good things happen. So uh, we've mentioned your podcast, Building New Law, which is a phenomenal podcast with actually, you you guys put more effort into the production value than we do, and it shows. Um, <laughs> and people should listen to it. And so where can people find out more about it? You can go to our website. So it will be buildingnewlaw.ca. And you can also find us on Twitter. I believe it's at Building New Law. I, you know, we didn't mention it, I don't think, at any point during your podcast, but you're a Canadian law firm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hence Sorry. the CAs. No, I don't like you were using terms that um, that sound more Canadian than American. And I don't think we mentioned that at any point. But <laughs> for those listeners who are not Canadian, that's why. There you go. 
<laughs> I have no response for that. <laughs> so go to buildingnewlaw.ca to listen to the Building New Law podcast. Is there an episode that you think best embodies the podcast that people should start with? That's a tough one. Yeah. Um, no disrespect to the, any of the other guests, but. My favorite is still the workflows focused uh, podcast, which is, I think it's, I think it's season one, episode three with Andrew Courier. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I would. I would say this. So if you want the the philosophical one, like kind of that that underlying purpose one that really stands out is is we did an interview with Seth Godin um, yeah. that I think a lot of people responded to and a lot of people know who Seth Godin is. But I agree with Natalie from, you know, kind of a nuts and bolts practical perspective. I'm Andrew Courier um, talking like us nerding out with another law firm who built a bunch of process maps and the journey that we went through. Um, to get there is, I, I think, uh, we're proud of that one. And that's season one, episode six. And if I had to pick, uh, I'd pick two. I would pick Jordan Furlong, part one and two. Yeah, that's yeah. good. One. Jordan's book, um, Law, what was it called? Laws of Buyer's Market. Yeah. You know, you read so many of these, these types of quote unquote new law books or whatever we want to call them, and they lack a practical element to them. And Jordan's book, does not fall into that trap. And, and I can read that book and have read that book more than once and I'll, and I'll probably do it again. So yeah, that's, that's a good choice. Peter, Natalie, thanks so much for being with us today. I really enjoyed having you on our podcast. Thank you Thank so much. You. Make sure to catch next week's episode of the Lawyerist podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.